Yes, praise the King of Kings. And if you have a Bible, I want you to join me in Matthew chapter 1. So if you've got a Bible, go on and join me there. And I will study from Matthew's Gospel this morning uh, for today and the Sundays leading up to Christmas. Uh, we'll be preaching some Christmas-themed messages, which means we're going to preach some Jesus-themed messages. Our series will be The Light in the Darkness. And we're going to begin here in Matthew chapter 1. If you've got a paper copy of God's Word, I want you to do something with me. And if you're in Matthew chapter 1, you might have a page that looks like this. It sort of separates the Old Testament from the New Testament. So if you've got that page, if you just hold it there for a moment, just grab hold of that page. You're holding 400 years. 400 years goes between the Old Testament and the New Testament. That's a pretty good amount of time, right? That's 1620 was 400 years ago. So that's a lot of time in which seemingly God has been silent. But when God is silent and you're waiting, that doesn't mean God's not working. And what he had been orchestrating was this moment beginning in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. That means he's the son of promise. God had promised Abraham, all the nations of the world will be blessed through you. And he promised David, I'm going to establish a throne from your line that will be everlasting. And Matthew's announcing that's Jesus. So let's pray together and we'll study a little bit more through Matthew chapter 1. Father, I thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. You are King of kings, the Lamb given for us, gloriously resurrected. And this gospel truth of old, this is what we cling to. So God, now give us grace to know that light has shined in the darkness. The darkness of our world is significant, but it's not greater than the light. So give us grace to understand who the light is. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Of course, you may be seated, and again, beginning today and over the course of the next several Sundays, I will preach uh, with emphasis on the Christmas story, the glorious good news. As Isaiah prophesied, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. You know, it's not for no reason that when it comes Christmas time, we put lights up everywhere. Anybody put some lights up at your house? Anybody strung some lights around a tree at your house? It's because the Christmas is about Jesus, who himself said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me, do you follow Jesus? He says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And Zechariah, if you'd open up to the Gospel of Luke and read about him, he's the father of John the Baptist, and the Holy Spirit led him to prophesy about his son, John, you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Now listen to this and know this and trust this. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. The very first words spoken by God in the Scriptures, does anybody know what they are? Go back to Genesis 1. Let there be light. So in Matthew chapter 1, where the breaking in of God's light is recorded, 
the Scripture says this, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. Did you get all that? How many of you still with me? How many of you are your eyes glazed over? Now, if you were to write the good news of the gospel, how would you begin it? Would you begin it this way? I mean, 400 years of silence, and now God's going to proclaim what he's done, and he begins with a genealogy. Now, any of you who sit down and, and, and write, whether it's a letter or an email, or maybe it doesn't quite work the same way with text or whatnot, but if you ever have to write a paper, what's the hardest part? For me, it's how do I begin? I, I can't count the number of hours I've sat before a computer screen with a paper due, and I'm sitting there like this. How do you start? Well, Matthew begins the gospel with a genealogy. It might not be how you would start, but it is how the Holy Spirit inspires Matthew to start. So we're left with the question, what does this mean and what does this matter? Uh, With streaming now, how we often watch television, I've noticed that there's an option now as you click on a show, it'll have in the right-hand corner or somewhere on the screen this little button that you can skip intro. Have you seen this? Meaning you just skip over the credits or the theme song and just get right into it. Should we skip over? Like it seems, verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. That seems like a good way to begin, but that's not how Matthew begins. He begins with this list of names. What are we to make of this? Well, I make of it this. I trust the Holy Spirit knows exactly what he's doing when he inspires Matthew to write the gospel. And so let's think through for a minute the implications of this genealogy. How well do you know your genealogy? There's been a little uptick of interest recently because of some technological advances with things like, what, what, what are they called, uh, 23andMe or Ancestry.com, that, that now you can get a little bit more information about where you come from, and they can map it out and say this is the genealogy that has led to you being there. How far back can you go in your family line? Isn't it interesting for our, our te- all of our technology, they do a little bit better job, right? I mean, just boom, 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 boom. We know where we come from, and where is it that Jesus comes from. We didn't even read the whole genealogy, but it culminates with, then comes Jesus. So let's not skip over this list, but for a moment, think about how does this reveal that light has come into the darkness? How many names do you recognize here right off? You probably get the first two, can't you? Abraham and David. We're good. Isaac, Jacob, is it getting cloudier yet? Judah, Perez, and Zerah by Tamar. Can we just pause there for a moment? Here's a word that I would use to describe the genealogy of Jesus at that point. It's starting to get a little bit messy. Do you know who Judah is? Do you know who Tamar is? Well, the interesting point from here is Tamar is a lady, 
And most genealogies just emphasize the men, but here we have Matthew saying, Tamar. Do you know about Tamar? And do you know about Judah and these twin boys, Perez? Well, well, Perez is a twin. His other brother's not listed there. We'll talk about that in a moment. But see if you can track this with me. You can turn to Genesis 38. That's where we learn about Judah and Tamar. Genesis chapter 38. Have you got anything in your family tree that might not be fit for polite company? Jesus does. As a matter of fact, what happens in Genesis 38 is, is almost hard to talk about. It's, 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 it's uncomfortable. Here's the politest way I know to say it. Judah is Tamar's father-in-law. Perez is Tamar's son. And Judah is his dad. Anybody track with me on that? I'll say it one more time. Judah is Tamar's father-in-law. Perez is Tamar's son. And Judah is his dad. I told you it's a little bit messy. Look, look at uh, Genesis 38, verse 24. About three months later... Judah was told, Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has been immoral. Moreover, she is pregnant by immorality. And Judah said, bring her out and let her be burned. Now we've skipped to the midpoint of this chapter. So here's what has happened is... Tamar was married to Judah's firstborn son, and he is so wicked, we're not even told the details, he's just so wicked, the Bible says the Lord put him to death. It's earlier in Genesis 38. So Tamar then, as the custom of the day was, is married to the nextborn son. He's not much better than his older brother, and the Lord puts him to death. And now, the thirdborn son, whom Tamar would then be betrothed to and ultimately marry. He's much younger, and so now Tamar just has to wait for him to grow up. But Judah kind of lies about it and doesn't have her marry the thirdborn son, and so she's used, exploited, and abused already, and we haven't even gotten to the worst part. The worst part is this. Judah fell into some pretty wild company. It's important who you allow to influence you in your life, by the way. It's where this chapter begins. And so Judah goes into what he thinks is a prostitute, but is Tamar. And Judah is the dad of the child that Tamar is now expecting, who he just said, because you did this, you should be burned. Do you realize how dark the world really is? So dark that here's a man standing there saying she needs to die when he's done what she's done. It's pretty dark, isn't it? Pretty wicked, isn't it? And that's the world. Now, uh, you might have some uh, family traditions that you uh, 
always uh, do at Christmas time. One of the things that we do at my house is we have a little snow village. Anybody put a little snow village up, little lighted buildings, and you click on the thing and it lights up, and we got little people, and every year we try to add a little person or people that go in the village. And, and last night, uh, we put the village up at my house. I've always wanted to do that with the children, and, and so that's kind of one of our traditions. We put the village up, and then we snap a picture, and then I have the children all growing up. Well, last night, my seven-year-old was really the only one that was really hanging in there with me. You know, the others have gotten a little older, and they've kind of moved on, but we were putting the village and we put the road out and we got the lights and uh, they, they all in a way did help but then Julianne is the most excited about it and so she begins to play with the pieces and and when the village is all put up I'm a little OCD so I have to take a step back and say okay you can play with the piece but they actually go there and she's moving them all around and I get it all set the way that I want it and it looks like this perfect little Christmas town I mean everybody's happy everybody's happy to see one another and it's so very unlike the real world it's probably why I like it so much. Because if we put villages up of how the world really is, it look a lot different than what's laid out there on my living room table. See, brokenness. I've never gone to the store and found a little figurine that you put of someone screaming and shouting at each other. It never happened, right? Or someone in the corner crying, barely holding it together. But that's the real world, and that's what we see here. And the good news for us is that the real light has really come into the real world. Every family tree is messy. Do you know why? Because it's made up of human beings. That's why. And the gospel story, the Christmas story, is there's just one who's been born who's not like everyone else. And his name is Jesus well, Judah, it's back here to verse 25. As she was bringing, as she was being brought out. Now, you just think about this for a moment. Judah is bringing her out so she would be killed. And he's going to go through with it. And it says, she sent word to her father-in-law by the man to whom these belong, I am pregnant. Well, he'd left some things behind in the room. And she said, please identify whose these are in the signet and the cord and the staff. Then Judah identified them and said, she's more righteous than I, since I did not give to her my son Shelah, and he did not know her again. Now, when the time of her labor came, there were twins in her womb. And when she was in labor, one put out a hand, and the midwife took and tied a scarlet thread on his hand, saying, this one came out first. But as he drew back his hand, behold, his brother came out, and she said, What a breach you have made for yourself. Therefore, his name was Perez. That's the Perez over in Matthew 1 that we read about in the genealogy of Jesus. Afterward, his brother came out with a scarlet thread on his hand, and his name was Zerah. A little scarlet thread, right? This is what happens all through the Old Testament is darkness, 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 but little glimpses. Sometimes big, glorious glimpses, but sometimes little glimpses, a scarlet thread tied around one hand withdrawn now what is going on here God's saying I'm going to keep my promise and just here's a little notation here a scarlet thread I'm not done not backed out not leaving you in the darkness and then the birth happens in an unexpected way the, what you thought was going to be the firstborn is not the firstborn now here comes another and then in Genesis 39 just by way of notation quickly is a is a narrative of Joseph with Potiphar's wife when she comes and tempts him day after day. And so what we have contrasted is Judah's 
rampant dark sexual sin with Joseph's faithfulness. And you might think, therefore, it would say Joseph in Matthew 1, right? Wouldn't that, make, wouldn't that seem like it would almost make more sense? But we don't say he's the lion of the tribe of Joseph. We say he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. Why? Because God comes in the real darkness to rescue real people. And Jesus is of the tribe of Judah, but he's not like Judah. If you ever get the notion in your mind that all people are just like Judah, well, on one hand, yes. But there's one that is not, and his name is Jesus. He doesn't exploit. He doesn't abuse. He doesn't abandon. The darkness of the world, those things go on all the time. But one has come who is not like the others. In his book, The Christmas, or I'm sorry, The Characters of Christmas, author Daniel Darling says this, Judah and Tamar's place in the family of Jesus shows a kind of interesting juxtaposition between the powerful and the powerless. Judah was the hypocritical leader who covered his sin, who exploited his daughter-in-law to satisfy his own passions. Then there is Tamar, helpless and forgotten. In Jesus' new family, both the religious hypocrite and the exploited mistress find their need for grace. There's three other women in the genealogy of Jesus, if you read through Matthew 1. Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba. Rahab, a prostitute. Ruth, an outsider from Moab, the enemies of the Jewish people. And Bathsheba, an adulteress. So let's mark this down. No matter what you've done, and no matter where you're from, no matter what has happened to you, and no matter how dark the darkness is, God can take you from where you've come and where you are and get you to Jesus. And there's nobody, there's nobody who that is not true of. The darkness is never greater than the light of the world. I want you to turn with me to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. That's over in the New Testament. And I want you to read through and think through and ponder over three verses with me, every word of which is precious. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17, 18, and 19. 2 Corinthians 5, beginning in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, in other words, if anyone has turned and placed their faith in Jesus, if you've repented and put your hope in Him, the Bible's testimony is you're either in Adam or you're in Christ. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new What's your Bible say? Creation. You're not a new project. You're a new creation. You're not a machine that needs to be fixed. You're a human being who needs to be reconciled. That's the verb he'll use in just a moment. And God can do that. It's not an improvement of your old self. It's a new creation. And what was The first word of creation, let there be light. Has the light of the gospel come to you? 
Now, here's something that you, some of you are going to have to grab hold of. Next, next phrase there. The old has passed away. Some of you need to hear this. The old has passed away. Some of us get stuck in the old ways. Some of us get stuck in what we have done. And I'm not making light of the fact that we are born sinners and have done some dark things, but the Scripture says when the light has come, the old has passed away. Now, there is an enemy who's lied from the beginning, who always calls into question the Word of God. And in my experience, as I've loved and served and counseled people and sought the Lord for myself, one of the most frequent lies the enemy gives is when we say this statement, the old has passed away, he speaks up, no, it hasn't. Yes, it has. Do you trust the Word of God? Do you believe what He says is true? If you are in Christ, the old has passed away. He didn't say, I'm going to slide it over a little bit. He says, as far as east is from west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. And it's not just that something old is gone. Look, behold, the new has come. Where'd this come from? Let's keep reading. All of this, all of this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. You see, this is what the gospel is, is is God is bringing you back to himself and now has given you the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Now, let's, let's get some more gospel truth here. That verse did not say God is not counting trespasses. We read them together? It doesn't say that, so God just gives us a clean slate. It's not what the Bible is saying. So Judah doesn't get to stand there and say, oh man, I really blew this. Can, you just, can, we just, can we just move on? Can we just get past this? Can we just put this in the past? That's not what it says. You know why? Because that wouldn't be just. Tamar's really been wounded. Judah's really done an awful thing. By the way, so did Abraham. I mean, even the seemingly heroic in the line of Jesus. Abraham's a liar multiple times. That's not my wife. That's not my wife. Yes, she is. David, the best king Israel ever had was a wicked sinner, right? He'd be the first to tell you that. So it's not that trespasses don't get counted. What did it say? It's just that the trespasses don't get counted against you. So that begs the question, doesn't it? Well, who do the trespasses get counted against? You know the answer, and I'm praying you're more thankful for this than you've ever been. The trespasses get placed on Jesus. He's the one who takes it. What Judah deserves, Jesus takes. What David deserves, Jesus takes. What Rahab deserves, Jesus takes. What Ruth deserves, Jesus takes. It's not that he doesn't count trespasses. It's that the trespasses aren't counted against them. What's the word for this? What's the word for this? If we were to summarize the Christmas story with one word, that word would be 
grace. This is grace. God's response to sinners is to give grace. See, the darkness of the world is not a problem that we can fix. We, we can't come up with a set of rules to fix this. Stop being dark. Well, that's who we are. So no social, no political insight is going to liberate us. We will again and again and again put ourselves in the place of God. We'll put ourselves at the center. We will forget God. We'll go through life saying, Tamar deserves to be judged. Oh, you knew that about me? Only grace can change you. Only grace in Jesus can forgive you and free you. Paul Tripp puts it this way. He says, sin makes us focus obsessively on how we feel, how we feel about how we feel, and how we feel about what we'll need to do to alter the way that we feel. And you'll go that way your whole life unless you can trust this, that God has not responded by sending a thing or sending a process or giving us a program. His response is to send us a person. And his name is Jesus. God's response to what we need is to give us himself. He is the light of the world. He is the redemption. He is the restoration. He is life and peace. There is no salvation apart from him. So for every Tamar that's broken because those who, you should, have, who should have helped you are those who've hurt you. For every David who's caught up in an unending effort to cover the shameful things he's done. For every Ruth who's overlooked and left out. For everyone living in darkness, the light has come. You know, we could give some titles to Tamar, Ruth, Rahab, Bathsheba, right? Exploited, prostitute, overlooked, outsider. According to Matthew chapter 1, do do you know what title God gives to them? Family. Pretty amazing, isn't it? Family. Got a place for you at my table. So your family tree can ultimately be the cross of Calvary. You know, when you trace your family tree back, you keep going back, going back, going back. You know, you can go back to the cross. You can trace your family line back to the old rugged cross where you have one who came for you, died for you, took your trespasses and says, you can count them against me, and now he claims you as his own. He says, I know who I've, where I've come from. You know, the Lord Jesus doesn't start with Abraham before Abraham was, I am. But more importantly, he knows who he's come for. And he's come for you. And he's come for you. He's come for you. The interesting thing is that the Holy Spirit inspired Matthew to record these things. Do you know about Matthew? You know what he spent his life doing before he met Jesus? He was a tax collector. So he knows all about keeping records. He knows all about keeping lists. You know what his habit had been is he would make a list of families in order to reveal to them what they owed. What you owe. 
going to come get the taxes. I got it written right here. But here, do you know what he says? It's not that there's not something owed. Judah owes a debt. Can we agree on that? Every person here owes a debt. But Matthew has now seen the light of the world come. And so he's not making a record of those who owe a debt. He's making a record of those whose debt has been paid. He's no tax collector. He's a grace giver. Have you submitted to him and surrendered to him? We don't want to skip over the genealogy of Jesus. Because it's in the genealogy that... In conclusion, we learn these at least three things, and we'll say them briefly, but they're important. First of all, God always keeps His Word. If He says He'll do it, He will do it. If He says it's done, it's done. If He says the old has passed away, the old really has passed away. If He says you can take your sins and have them counted to Christ, that He's paid them in full, you can trust Him. If he says, I'll never leave you or forsake you, you can trust him. He promised that in Abraham's seed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. What nation do you live in? And it's true, no matter what nation you step foot in, that the Lord Jesus has been sent to purchase people from that nation for his family. He has promised, he promised to establish a throne that would last forever in the line of David. 1 Thessalonians 5.24, He who calls you is faithful. He shall surely do it. He can take dead things and make them alive. He's a restorer. He can take broken things and put them back together. Uh, Something else, secondly, that we learn from the genealogy of Jesus. Please listen to me. You haven't gone too far that you cannot turn to God. There is no sin so great that the blood of Jesus cannot cover. There's not one name listed here in the genealogy of Jesus that doesn't have great sin. But one. Look at verse 16. Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So again, no matter where you are, Right now, no matter where you've come from, God can take you to Jesus. And then third, is you really don't have to live in the darkness anymore. Isn't that good news? You don't have to live in the darkness. A year ago or so, my family and I were in the mountains, uh, and we went to the Laverne, or Luray, not Laverne, Luray Caverns. Anybody ever been there? They walked us back several hundred yards, and then the tour guide stopped us and said, all right, we're going to do something you to find a safe spot to stand. It won't be long, but I want you to get your bearings. And then he pulled the plug, and the lights went out several hundred yards back in the cave. You hear the phrase, so dark you can't see the hand in front of your eyes. And that was true. I kept doing it. I said, I can't see anything here. And the only thing that prevented me from having like a meltdown was the trust that in a moment he was going to cut the light back on. Now, if he had bolted and left or whatever and we'd just been left there, 
I don't know what I would have done. And that's the state of the world apart from Jesus. And there are plenty of people who stand in the darkness and say, it's this way, it's this way, it's this way. But there's only one light who's ever come into the world that, can, that says, said, I can get you out of here. Follow me. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. Let's stand together and we'll pray together. My invitation to you is to respond to the Scripture as we've studied it this morning. You may have a burden this morning and it's of such a nature that you want to bring it before the Lord. Well, you're welcome to come here to the front and pray to the Lord. Of course, you're welcome to stay right where you are as we sing together and think about the implications of the Scripture we've studied or sing the song of praise and adoration to the Lord that we really need Him, have no hope apart from Him. Maybe you've got a dear, dearly loved one who's precious to you that is living in darkness and you want to ask the Lord, God, for grace that they'd see the light. For you, maybe this morning, the, the need is to again come to the Lord asking for grace to trust that the old really has passed away. Hey, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ is He took your sins with Him to the grave, but when He rose, He didn't bring them back with Him. Paid in full. And trust Him. He's brought restoration. He's brought reconciliation. He's brought His purifying power. And now you can grow in Christ-likeness. And learn to live in freedom. Father, there's no genealogy of any family anywhere on earth that's not messy. That doesn't have its own variation of great darkness. But I'm thankful that there is a family tree that is the old rugged cross. And I cling to it with all of my heart. Father, we're thankful that there is one and only one who has been born into the world that's unlike everyone else, and his name is Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, light of the world, and we are grateful for his arrival on the scene. Now give us grace to trust that if we are in Christ, we are a new creation. We're thankful for this in Jesus' name. Amen.